The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning to everyone. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and we have a really wonderful show to, uh, for you today. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, many listeners will know that we've been talking about this theme of creativity, collaboration, uh, looking for 21st century uh, work skills, and how museums can really plug into that, uh, that directive. And I have a great guest to talk about the art of museum or art of uh, science learning. I have, uh, I, I met this guest, uh, virtually because I've been doing a lot of work recently on behalf of a client looking at, uh, what is called STEAM, science, technology, engineering, math, and art. Some people call it STEM plus A. And I'm finding this just a fascinating, uh, area of research and, and development, uh, Many of you know that I started out my career as a research scientist, but found myself as a curator of a natural history collection, but within an art museum. I worked for the Newark Museum for almost 10 years and spent a lot of time thinking about the relationships between science and art. Uh, in our museums, I think we still tend to silo uh, our our thinking a little bit more than is probably healthy for us. We say this is arts education or this is science education. And I think this move to STEM or STEAM is really helping us look more effectively at what is the common denominator, what is the, the uh, core value or core inspiration that sparks all of us as human beings to look at, uh, to create, whether it's uh, artistic creation, whether it's invention or innovation in the arts or the sciences. So I was thrilled when I was able to meet Harvey Seifert. Now, Harvey is one of the world's leading authorities on organizational creativity and in arts-based learning. He ha is the director of his own association, his consulting practice, which he founded in 1995, 
and he has brought arts-based approaches to uh, innovation, leadership development, teamwork, and cross-cultural communications to both uh, for-profit companies, some very large ones that he may tell us about, as well as uh, universities. In addition, Harvey is a classically trained musician with an illustrious career uh, as a musician. And recently, he is the primary investor investigator on a National Science Foundation funded initiative with the same name as our program today, The Art of Science Learning. And he is uh, going to share with us some of his, well, his background certainly and how he's brought the arts and sciences together and also what he's learning from this very innovative program. So Harvey, I am thrilled that you're on our program today. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. Good morning, and it's really wonderful to be here and 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 to be part of a program that are that, that's exploring and investigating such such rich and important questions uh, and and the role that museums play as not only repositories of creativity but really as as, as drivers. Yes, thank you. Could uh, Harvey, why don't you uh, ground our listeners a little bit by telling them, uh, I, I just hinted, of course, on, on your great career and, and your background. Could you tell us a little bit more about your career tra- trajectory and how did you find yourself doing what you're doing today? Sure. Well, my, my background, is, as you mentioned, is the musician. I actually learned to read music before I learned to read English, and I I, I played violin, and uh, I I was a conductor. And um, in college, I started hanging out with a rougher crowd, so I did a lot of theater. And uh, I spent the first half of my career essentially uh, with orchestras, directing them, uh, playing some, and uh, producing and directing directing plays. One of the companies that I had the privilege of, of, of working with uh, about 15 years ago is a really remarkable orchestra known as Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. Orpheus, which is based in Carnegie Hall and performs all over the world, uh, is the only orchestra in the world that rehearses, records, and performs all of its work without a conductor. And during my years there, I became really, really fascinated with how does, how does an orchestra do this, and, and, and what are the implications of it? What, what can we learn from it? So this was coming at a time when, when uh, uh, the IT revolution was really changing the way that people worked and the way that people were thinking about their work, and suddenly here was an orchestra that had no single obvious leader, but where everybody was a leader, and was finding ways to, to, to perform at the highest levels of international excellence. That launched... Uh, uh, what's now a 15-year-long exploration of what we can learn in non-artistic realms from artistic skills, processes, and experiences. Uh, I started that exploration when I was uh, doing some work with the uh, uh, Columbia University Graduate School of Business and when I was at Orpheus when we began consulting with corporations around the world. And over the years, we've explored that in research centers and in uh, science centers, museums, uh, corporations, nonprofits, and and, and and the public sector. And uh, out of all of that, uh, what what became really clear, uh, the deeper we, we 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 dug into this, is that. We were involved in a, in, a, in a study. Uh, I, I founded a, a program uh, for Americans for the Arts called Creativity Connection. We were involved with a study with the conference board that looked at, at, at 
400 corporations and what they considered at the top levels to be the, the drivers of success in a 21st century workforce. And persistently, we heard these same, these same, these same words, collaboration, communication, creativity. And 80 to 90 percent of CEOs and senior level executives said those were the critical skill drivers. But only about 20 to 25 percent felt that those skills were being de- developed at a level that was better than mediocre in the people that were coming to them looking for jobs. So we sensed that there was an innovation gap. We sensed that, that uh, the arts had a great deal potentially to do to help us address that. And that Museums, centers for informal learning could be rich contributors and participants in, in, in looking for solutions. Wow, that's, that, that really, that's, that's such a rich, uh, description of where you've been and, and where you are and, and, and how, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about where you're going. It, it does seem to dovetail so well into this big push that we're having uh, right now, certainly the De- Department of Education and other organizations uh, talking about the need of 20, uh, 21st century work skills, uh, certainly because we're in an information age where memorization is hardly necessary. Uh, it's it, literally, if you need to know when a certain war started or who was a president at a certain time, it is uh, just a click away, but synthesizing those skills and having the humanity skills to communicate and use that information is, as you say, wow, we're we're just sort of mediocre in those areas. I find that fascinating. It, it, it it's a huge challenge that I think that we have as a society. I mean, if you think about it, the 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 really compelling and troubling problems that we face in the world, the most difficult ones, the ones that we think of as wicked problems. These are all, at some level or another, failures of the human imagination. We haven't yet found ways to, 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 to envision solutions. And if you take a good look at how that happens, where, where and how the imagination tends to fail, these are problems that are cross-disciplinary in nature. And no one disciplinary lens is ever enough to help us understand how we might address climate change or uh, the water crisis in California or you know, any of these, 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 these other problems. And the imagination tends to, to fail precisely at the point where, if we think of these different disciplines, as almost like tectonic plates. And they're, they're, they're crashing up against each other. We need to be able to see and synthesize across those in order to address those. We don't have... A lot of experience as 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 a species in doing that. We have we're we're natural silo makers, and our experience in developing civilization has largely been uh, an experience of developing ever clearer, sharper, and in some cases more rigid specialties and disciplines and silos. Disciplinary knowledge is vital. Nobody suggested that it's not important. It's critical, and it's more critical than ever. But so is the ability to think outside and beyond that. And to do that, we need both languages that help us do that, and in many ways that's what art is. It's a, it's a global universal language of creativity. It's a set of experiences and practices and ways of accessing things inside ourselves that let us do that. And it's a form for collaboration across us. And, of course, it's also a way of thinking not only of what is but of what might be. So these are, these are really powerful imperatives that we have as a society 
And with the arts, with arts-based learning, we have a rich and extraordinarily accessible set of tools that cut across and bring together disciplines, cultures, perspectives, generations, different ways of approaching it. And, of course, in Centers for Informal Learning, we have both rich resources that are there, but also extraordinary reach or potential reach into so many, many different different elements and aspects of, of our civic life and culture. Before we get into, uh, this is a perfect segue in, into talking about the Art of Science Learning Project, but before we do, I, I just want to uh, reinforce a couple of the things that you said that I find so very important uh, because they resonate so so well with, with the way I I'm sort of looking at the world in in my practice as well, and that is as as a writer and a, as a uh, an oral communicator, I truly believe in creating shared language and shared vocabulary. And what you're saying is that art is that can be that shared vocabulary amongst people of, of very deep disciplines uh, who can communicate uh, together. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And but and before we go on, uh, for my science-focused colleagues, uh, let's just remember that when we talk about art, we don't we're not necessarily talking about drawing. I find that as uh, uh, a, a misunderstanding often right off the bat. Uh, I know uh, in my interview with Linda Norris a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about creativity and uh, talking about how, how she might apply some arts-based programming, several of uh, the museum directors she was talking about or some of the curators said, but I can't draw. <laughs> and, and so could you just uh, say a couple of, of things uh, about... Um, when you talk about arts-based learning, what are some of those uh, skills or approaches, or how are you defining art? I guess it would be a good thing that makes sure that we don't uh, 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 perpetuate any misunderstandings. Great. So first, it's important to say that, that we're looking at, at, at a full, really rich range of arts and artistic processes in the visual arts, in the performing arts, in literature, in digital media and, and, and new media arts. Uh, they're, they're, these are very rich, complex, subtle, nonlinear, uh, intuitive experiences that tap into things that are incredibly important uh, in the sciences and in how humans learn and experience the world. And what we've done over the last decade or decade and a half has really kind of looked across the range and, and, and begun to connect the dots. So in many ways that process started when we did phase one of the Art of Science Learning, which was back in, in, in 2011. Uh, the NSF invited us to convene a series of, of conferences. In, in, uh, we did one at the Smithsonian in Washington, one in, in, at, at Cal-IT2 in, 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 in uh, San Diego, and one at, uh, at the Illinois Institute of Technology. We brought together lots of people, about 450 people altogether, that were a combination of artists, scientists, researchers, uh, 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 business leaders that were working in workforce development and policymakers working in workforce development, business leaders working in innovation, um, educators and classroom teachers, students. And we explored this from the standpoint of educational Perspective, practice, workforce development, and the research. And 
what the research told us is is that there isn't a lot of data yet that tells us really what arts-based learning does, but there are some fairly compelling uh, suggestive studies, correlative studies, that, that we're now working on, and maybe we'll, we'll get to a bit later, in different ways to, to develop uh, clearer and more refined empirical data. But what, I, what maybe what I'll share with you right now is a little bit about what we actually do, some of the practices that we've used and that we've seen in our work have very successful and very powerful impacts on people. So one of the art forms that we work with is, 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 is music. And some of the ways we work with music, we bring, uh, we bring people inside the inner workings of a chamber music ensemble as a way of exploring and understanding the, 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 the dynamics of high-performance teamwork and collaboration. We have them actually improvising, even if they don't play any instruments at all. Uh, we, we have them improvising with found sounds and different types of, of uh, 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 objects and, and, and their own bodies, making music in real time under various conditions, ranging from blindfolded to changing teams, and learning to integrate leadership and followership, learning to to make choices in the moment and to find ways to 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 have creative synthesis that involves um, moving the conversation in a forward and in a dynamic direction in the moment. We do work with um, open-ended improvisation as a tool that helps prepare our teams that are going out to do ethnographic research around STEM challenges uh, to, to do a kind of open-ended listening and observation so that they, they, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're primed to see problems and opportunities where they don't expect them as opposed to having a, a clear programmed idea of what they should expect and then, and then having that channel their observations. We find that in our innovation work, it's really critical to kind of start with not – how are we going to solve the problem? There's so much talk about problem solving in, in innovation, and it's important. But maybe even more important is understanding what the problem actually is. And it's one of the great things that, that, that arts-based learning is able to have a powerful role in helping. We use movement. We use it not only to help people uh, communicate much more effectively, and here we do have some, some, some experimental data from, from work done at Cooper Union that shows that engineers develop much better communication presentation skills when they, when they study movements along with more traditional ways of doing that. But we've also found that when we get teams embodying their ideas, it helps them in a kind of an intuitive way to in- integrate the, 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 the empirical knowledge of data with the less conscious and, 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 and maybe at a more subtle level, the pattern recognition that's involved in intuition so that they actually learn to, to feel numbers through movement. And we also find that they then become much more open to other points of view and to uh, finding ways to, 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 to work with those in collaborative situations. So those are some of the performing arts ways that we work. Uh, in the visual arts, it ranges from uh, work in intentional observation where we really use the act of looking at art to help people see the whole picture, to see, to develop what, what, what we call contextual intelligence, so to, to understand not only the things that they know will be there, but the emergent complexities of a situation, the, uh, approaching a blank canvas with, with an open set of, of ideas and, and possibilities. 
we do work with uh, with uh, 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 various forms of, of drawing, which help enormously in spatial reasoning development. We do work with forms like uh, uh, suminagashi and Turkish marbling, different types of, of, of forms that, that involve creating art in environments that are fundamentally unpredictable because the canvas itself is moving. And so it proves to be a wonderful way to, to explore chaos and complexity in emergent environments. So I can go on and on with these examples. That we have, we've actually built an entire curriculum now, which is a comprehensive arts-based innovation process curriculum. And it, it, it goes all the way from how do we know what the problem is to how do we go to market with the solution and everything in between. And it's all grounded in innovation practice. It's all applied to STEM challenges. But the ways that we're learning are all arts-based. Wow. Uh, fascinating. Just fascinating. But I am going to have to break here. Okay. We will have a, a short break, and then we will be back with Harvey Seifer talking uh, to us a little bit more about the Art of Science Learning Project and how we can use arts-based education and approaches to create uh uh, better communication for us all. Again, you're listening to Carol Bossert. Uh, this is the Museum Life. Remember, you can always drop me a line, talk to me about what issues you feel we should be uh, discussing on this program at carol.bossert uh, at verizon.net. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Carla Howell, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. 
Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to The Museum Life. And I'm here today with Harvey Seifert. And we've been talking about his project, The Art of Science Learning. And right before we went to break, Harvey was talking to us a little bit about how the project got started in 2011 and some of the innovative approaches that they've been using over the years uh, since then. So, Harvey, could you tell us a little bit more about The Art of Science Learning Project and uh, particularly about, uh, I think our listeners would be very interested in the very thoughtful approach you're using to rolling out this project. I think it's a very interesting model. Great. Well, it it really started um, going back now uh, about seven years. In, uh, In 2007, had the opportunity to do uh, a symposium at the National Science Foundation that was sponsored by uh, what was then informal science education there. And uh, I, I uh, was joined by uh, two, two wonderful friends and, and, and extraordinary artists who've done, done some fantastic work in this field, uh, pioneering work over the years, Todd Seiler, who's a visual artist and a scientist, and invented uh, uh, a process which he calls metaforming, which we use a lot in the art of science learning, which is a sort of a, uh, a collaborative uh, uh, process of using some really rich symbolic materials to, to model uh, and develop ideas. Uh, and in many ways, this process encapsulates the, the whole innovation process. It's a, it's, it, 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 it goes much richer, richer and deeper and further than, than traditional brainstorming. And I was also joined by the choreographer, Liz Lerman, who's done extraordinary work in, at the intersection of art and science in, in, in her work. What was key to that symposium, and has been true of everything we've done with the art of science learning since then, is we talked about it, but we also did it. So we, we, cre- we, we, we focused on somewhat on the theoretical framework. What, what do we mean by arts-based learning, and how does it work, and how do we know that it works, and so forth. But then we also rolled up sleeves and brought in a bunch of metaforming materials, and uh, people at the NSF made models about ideas about innovation and used those as a basis for exploration and discussion. Out of that and out of many other explorations going on at the National Science Foundation grew a whole series of, 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 of projects, really, really rich and exciting projects that, that the NSF has supported that look at creativity and its sources and its ways of being uh, practically engaged on multiple levels and how people learn and express themselves through the arts and how that can relate to science and, and to STEM both in terms of the communications power of the arts to help engage people in science uh, and in terms of the power of the arts to help spark innovation and to develop practical skills and tools that people can use, whether it's in learning the sciences or in practicing them in collaborative and innovative 21st century ways. So growing growing out of all of that, uh, we did the... Uh, the initial conferences uh, that I mentioned earlier in uh, 2011. And what we saw in those is that we brought together people from such diverse backgrounds. And once again, we actually used arts-based learning. We used metaforming. We also used a process uh, which we call surrealist ideation, uh, which essentially uses uh, various kinds of 
of artistic activities that were developed by the Surrealists more than 100 years ago as ways of, of, of sparking and triggering rapid ideation that goes far much deeper into the, in, 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 into the unconscious and intuitive than traditional brainstorming tends to. And what we saw there was that although we had people that, that really are not accustomed to going to the same conferences or working together on problems and speak, in many cases, very different disciplinary languages, that we were able to actually measure through personal meaning mapping uh, the transformations that took place in a very short period of time, in a day and a half, that really brought together many people uh, around some exciting thinking about innovation at this realm of art, science, and learning. And, again, the, 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 the medium, the tool for that exploration and that synthesis was arts-based learning. Based on all of that, uh, we decided that we would attempt to bring together the very best practices that we've developed over the past 15 years. And I say we, it's, it's a very loose we. It's a group of, of really pioneers and innovators in this field. Many of them have been working with my company and on my projects, others of whom have been doing wonderful work uh, uh, on their own, and we saw this as a great opportunity to learn from them and bring them into to what we were doing. So uh, we received funding in 2012 for uh, uh, a phase two of, of the Art of Science Learning Project, and the objective was really first of all, to bring these practices together in very practical ways in the form of a new curriculum, a curriculum for interdisciplinary and cross-disciplinary and multi-generational learners. So this is not a traditional curriculum. It's not something that in this form is going to be implemented in, 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 in a high school, but of course, the, or, or in any other single environment. Rather, it's meant to be a curriculum where we could convene people from high school students to lifelong learners, from the arts, from the sciences, from research, from, from business and industry, from policy, and from education, and to get them working together, learning an innovation process, and then practicing it. So building the curriculum, we also then felt we needed places to test the curriculum, that, that, that we needed to create something because the type of learning that we're talking about doing isn't typically performed in any one institution or set of institutions. So we decided to create a series of incubators, incubators for innovation in the arts. I, I, I'm sorry, using the arts in the sciences. So these are incubators where we bring together 100 learners for a year. And these learners range from high school students to uh, business leaders to policymakers, research scientists, teaching artists, teaching scientists, people coming from all the different disciplines that we've been talking about. They come together, they learn this innovation process using the arts, but they focus it on innovation in STEM. Each community selects a civic challenge to work on for the year. And... Each of these incubators is hosted by a center for informal learning in the sciences in partnership with lots of other community organizations and, and institutions and partners. And we, of course, are doing this in large part so that we can understand better what happens when we, when we do it. So there's a great amount of research that goes on with this project. Much of that research is ethnographic and qualitative in nature, but there's also uh, an experimental 
component to the project where we're actually doing controlled, blind, randomized studies that look at what happens when we take a group of high school students and teach them an arts-based innovation process to, and then ask them to innovate around a STEM challenge. And we compare that with a control group, which gets innovation training but without the arts component. We do the same with early career scientists. So by the end of the project, we will have this, this curriculum, this very rich body of practice. The, each incubator will spin off 10 innovation teams, which will then be working on, on practical innovations around these civic challenges. So across the country, we will have 30 teams working of uh, cross-disciplinary teams of artists and scientists and educators and, and, and business leaders working on innovations to these STEM challenges and using the arts in some way as a learning tool and experiential tool to help them do that. We'll have the data from the studies, and we're actually doing an exhibition of all of this, which will travel around the country. So we're looking at hopefully some very rich data and some very compelling stories and some meaningful outcomes at the community level. So we, we have three incubators, and they're all running now. The first one was in San Diego. We launched that back in October, so they're now just over halfway through their year cycle. And San Diego, our partner there is, it's not one informal learning center, it's 26 of them because it's the Balboa Park Cultural Partnership and the Balboa Park Learning Institute. And we felt that that was an extraordinary uh, resource and platform to both convene the communities that we wanted to convene and do the kinds of explorations that we wanted to. So we've had the active involvement in, in, in Balboa Park hosting the incubator and working with us in developing content in different ways with the Rubin Fleet Science Center and the Museum of Natural History and the, the San Diego Zoo and the Art Museum and the Old Globe Theater. And it's a, it's, it, 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 it's a really wonderful, wonderful mix. Uh, they chose water resources and aligning supply and demand as their challenge, given everything that's going on in California. Not totally surprising. And in one very exciting development uh, in San Diego, we decided, working closely with the State Department and working with a few institutions in, in, in uh, Baja, California, to make that a binational incubator. So we have a number of participants from, from Baja that are taking part in the incubator, and we have one team, which is half from one side of the border and half from the other, working on a truly binational project. The second incubator to launch was in Chicago, and our host there is the Museum of Science and Industry, which is, of course, uh, just an extraordinary and really amazing institution. Uh, and they bring uh, a level of convening capacity and organizational capacity, knowledge and insight into the community, and, of course, uh, innovation in STEM and in STEM learning that, that a century-long track record of that. So the Museum of Science and Industry is our host there. The challenge in Chicago is urban nutrition. They launched the incubator in January. So we're now just at the threshold. What happens is that, that in the first weeks of the incubator, the first roughly six or seven weeks, we have everybody learning the front-end process of innovation. It's sometimes called the fuzzy front because it, it, it is – it's a very generative and creative phase, and what goes on there are essentially two successive waves of divergent, convergent thought. The first is, what's the problem? The second is, how do we want to solve it? So we teach them a process using the arts, but we don't work on the actual civic challenge during that period. We work on a practice challenge so that they'll really be focusing on learning the process. 
and for the practice challenge, we swap the challenges of the incubators around, and then we share findings. So they did that, and then that's followed with a second period of about six weeks, which we call front-end implementation, where each incubator then takes that process and applies it to their own challenge. And it becomes a six- or seven-week period of intense learning about the challenge and exploring the, the, the nature of the problems that they want to tackle and the nature of the solutions they want to bring to bear on them. And ultimately, they sort themselves into the teams around the ideas that they want to work on. So that process is just now culminating in, in Chicago. And in Worcester, which is our third incubator in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, they chose alternative transportation as their challenge. The Worcester incubator is hosted by a wonderful indoor-outdoor museum uh, called the Ecotarium. It's actually a very old museum. It, it, I believe it was originally chartered as the Worcester Natural History Museum in the early 1800s. And uh, they also <coughs> are working closely with Clark University and Worcester uh, Polytechnic Institute and many, many other different community organizations uh, that are contributing to the, the, the life of the incubator there. So they're in an early phase. They have just finished doing that, the, that, that process learning, and they're just starting to explore transportation. So we'll be working with these incubators all year long as they move their way through the process, develop their innovation teams. San Diego now has 10 teams working on 10 very different kinds of, of innovations. Some of them are product process service innovations that are meant to, in, in one way or another, tackle and address the water challenge. Others are innovations in STEM learning again, oriented around water. And, of course, in already we see these fascinating hybrids that are emerging that are working with products but also that are intended to, to help educate and looking at models of, of how we engage communities in innovation and how that translates ultimately into what we hope is, is greater awareness, engagement with STEM, more creative thinking about how, how it can be applied to, 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 the, to these wicked problems and ultimately how this, this, this whole effort can lead to solutions, different outcomes, behavioral change, and so forth. Oh, that's, thank you so much, Harvey, for detailing out this, uh, detailing out your project and, and your process. There are so many things, of course, that resonate so well with best museum practices, whether you're a science center or an art museum. It's, again, uh, going back to your three C's, it's collaboration, uh, creativity, and communication. But it is involving the community, uh, providing uh, access, uh, uh, being responsive and encouraging to a variety of people and giving them permission to work on, as you say, these wicked projects, even if that isn't their particular job description. Uh, I think that there is so much that, uh, that this project will teach us and inform us in the broader museum field. But before uh, we get into some of, uh, some of that sort of creative brainstorming, I'm going to take one more break. Uh, we will be back in just a moment with Harvey Seifer and talking about the art of muse uh, art of science learning. So I want to call it the art of museum learning. I yes. just really want to get this project back into our museum issues uh, uh, more fully. But we will be back in a moment. Remember, you can always contact me at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Uh, Tell me about what you think about the show and what other issues we need to be talking about in conversation as we uh, improve our museum practice. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm Carol Bossard. I'm here today with Harvey Seifert, and we have been having a fascinating conversation about uh, his project uh, that has, is now in uh, progress called The Art of Science Learning. Now, uh, I don't I want everyone to know, too, that you can follow along with Harvey's progress and the progress of these three incubation sites at a website uh, called artforsciencelearning.org. And I encourage artofsciencelearning.org. And I encourage all of us to do that because I think that this project has so much to inform our broader museum practice, whether we're a science center or an art museum or or a small cultural history site. Harvey, uh, so you're sort of in the thick of this project. Uh, yes. So what's been, what has been most surprising to you so far? Um, it, it, every day with this project is, is a constant set of surprises because it, the, the, the raw energy and creativity that, that's been unleashed at this intersection of art, science, and learning in, 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 in these three incubators is just extraordinary. I mean, if we look at, 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 at the, 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 some of the original models that have already come out of here and, 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 and been developed, we've had uh, a project. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about San Diego because it's, it, it's the first one to start, so it's the furthest along in its process. But we, we had an extraordinary day uh, a couple of months ago where 
as 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 our hundred fellows were learning about the water challenge, um, they 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 got out into the community and they brought the community into museums in Balboa Park in remarkable ways. So one of the things that happened was that that collaborated with a local makers fair, uh, which happened to be going on in a watershed, and uh, so we were able to. Uh, uh, learn from the natural environment, learn from people, engage the community directly, and that was that 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 was very exciting to spark thinking and learning and discussion about the nature of of, of the problems and the opportunities around water. Balboa Park actually sits in a watershed, the Pueblo River watershed, and so what 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 the incubator in San Diego did is it actually collaborated with the Balboa Park institutions and. Uh, with uh, a local architecture school, the Woodbury Architecture School, for a day of citizen science and citizen art and learning from that. So we had teams of incubator fellows, but also members of the community who just signed up to do this. And they, they dispersed to, I think, about a dozen sites around the watershed, and they did a day of citizen science gathering data about soil filtration rates and biomass and temperature and humidity and, 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 and observational work. And a lot of what we do uh, in our process involves doing research, doing data gathering, but then also expanding on that through a process that we call transliteration, which essentially uses that as a basis for making art. And again, this is art in many different forms. It can be drawings, it can be video, it can be music or poetry, or but different kinds of artistic uh, exploration. And then using that in turn as a way of engaging people, bringing them together in conversation, making new associations, uh, symbolic points of departure that 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 tend to spark very creative divergent thinking, but then also give us some tools to, to understand the ideas and model the ideas that we're beginning to develop. So this collaboration of uh, the people in the incubator, the people in the communities, the museums themselves, other community institutions, really made for this incredibly rich day of learning. And then building on that, we had another day where we brought hundreds of people into the, into the Natural History Museum, and we had everything from panel discussions and expert presentations to idea pitching going on by fellows in the community to interactive uh, uh, projects that were created for it, and some cases created by young kids. So it, it, it's, a, it's a really kind of joyous adventure in learning and exploring that, that goes on. One of the things that we've learned is that museums are wonderful partners for this and that it, 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 it actually is a type of collaboration which leverages so many strengths and, and so many potential strengths in museums, and it doesn't necessarily rest on the size or the institutional capacity for the museum. Obviously, where we have a, 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 a museum that has great resources, that gives us certain kinds of opportunity. But we've seen that very small museums uh, sometimes come up with the most creative solutions, and this, in some ways, creates great points of leverage for them. Because what we're doing is we're really leveraging the fact that, that museums are places that engage lots of people, lots of people who want to be there, uh, and learners who increasingly want to be active and, and engaged learners and not passive consumers of learning, and don't always have the opportunity to do this, and this creates a marvelous set of opportunities to do it. And the, the, the whole process of, of opening up those, 
those kinds of collaborations and those kinds of explorations are creative and generative. So they lead to unexpected innovation. And sometimes that ultimately over time may resonate internally for museums. Uh, it may resonate in terms of how museums engage the, the community. It certainly for us is, is a constant learning experience uh, about innovation, about the challenge, about our own work and how we can make it better because a lot of what, what we do is, is in, in innovation, we, we talk about constantly about using the, some basic principles of design thinking and user-centered, uh, 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 human-centered uh, innovation focus. But when, then we also uh, use some theater-based processes, which maybe go a step beyond traditional design thinking. In a sense, we're accelerating innovation by rehearsing ideas. And what better place to generate and rehearse ideas than museums? So it's it, it, it's really been uh, a great rich kind of learning as we do about what are, what are the possibilities which are larger than, than, than we thought and what are the challenges in, in, in which are sometimes also larger than we thought but, but often we're finding that there are some just marvelously unexpected and creative ways of addressing those and the, the implications of the possibilities. When we think about the the next phase of the art of science learning, the one that will take place as as we begin to 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 to, to complete our current work, um, we th- we're thinking increasingly about a, a a project which will involve the creation of different models of incubators that will be much less expensive, much lighter, and more portable and more flexible and scalable, so that they can be customized to the needs of lots of different types of 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 of, of hosts. And many of those, we hope, will be musicians. We uh, will be museums, and we hope to uh, develop some collaborative partnerships where we can test out some different models. Uh, where museums may want to use, create an incubator to address internal innovation opportunities. We may want they may want to partner with community and civic organizations to address civic challenges. They may want to partner with uh, universities to to look at ways that both formal and informal learning can come together uh, and innovate around how we think about and how we practice STEM and STEM learning, and obviously in the whole K-12 through realm. So lots and lots of exciting possibilities that we're, that, that we're, we're seeing emerge in, in, in nascent form every day in this project that we're eager to find ways to explore in the next phase. Thank you, Harvey, so much for giving some very practical uh, uh, suggestions for museums. And, and just to re- repeat back some of the things that, that you've been saying, I mean, in, in, in a way, you are creating a roadmap, uh, a process kit uh, that museums can use uh, internally to increase their leadership and address some of their, their big, what do you call them, wicked, uh, wicked problems that maybe aren't the same thing as uh, feeding, feeding the hungry, but when you're in a museum, uh, there are some wicked problems of, of your own that could be solved by some of these skills. It also seems to me that uh, this is an opportunity for museums to, again, reclaim their strengths and their abilities instead of uh, trying to think that they're something else uh, or saying that we're like a school or we're like a community center. This is an opportunity for museums to say these are the things we bring to the table as part of a broader collaborative process. I just... I. 
I, I've got to say, Harvey, that of the many wonderful guests that I've had on the show recently, and we've been talking about some of the, the challenging museum issues uh, that face us today, you've really brought a, a new way of thinking that uh, goes beyond uh, many of the approaches that, that we've been currently using, whether we're developing an exhibit or we're uh, dealing with uh, with a funding issue. So thank you uh, so, so very, very much. I can tell that you're really, really proud of, of the work that you're doing. It, 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 it's been marvelous to have had the opportunity to do this work. Uh, I, I think that my colleagues and I are incredibly grateful to the, to the National Science Foundation for, for its interest in this field and, and, and the, the extraordinary support and the very practical focus that they've brought our effort to, 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 to research, understand, gather data, test, and observe. And also to to the remarkable array of partners that we've had that 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 have uh, helped make this initiative possible. I mean, we we in in, in phase one we partnered with uh, the uh, uh, American Association of Museums, the uh, the uh, Americans for the Arts, with uh, uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, with with uh, the Association of Science and Technology Centers, and the current. Phase we're part we're partnering with 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 almost all of those partners uh, again, and we're also partnering with uh, PDMA, the Product Development Management Association, which gives us great strength on the innovation side, and of course the individual museums that are that are the hosts here in Balboa Park at the Museum of Science and Industry and Ecotarium, and the many extraordinary university partners we've had, the Arthur C. Clarke Center and Cal-IT2 at, uh, at UCSD, the Clark University in, in, in Worcester, and, 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 and many, many others. So it, it's, it, it isn't that often, I think, that there's a genuine, honest-to-God, grassroots revolution in how we think about education in this country. Uh, and it's a tough subject for so many reasons in so many ways, and yet here we see there are hundreds of schools around the country that are, for better or worse, springing up and calling themselves STEAM schools, uh, and whatever that means, and it will mean something different in each one. There are, are, are countless numbers of museums that are really digging into and exploring this. There are science centers and art centers, and they're, they're all, nobody's, for the most part, Actually, certainly nobody's mandating this to happen. And for the most part, other than, than the interest that the National Science Foundation has, has, has shown in, in understanding this better, uh, and now the National Endowment for the Arts has also done some very innovative funding, and I, I believe they, they are, they're now working collaboratively with the National Science Foundation around some of this. But for the most part, this is happening because people want it to happen. There's just this powerful, compelling sense that there's something very important that happens at the intersection of art, science, and learning that has something to do with how we as a society are going to address our, 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 our critical challenges in the 21st century. And that's an exciting time for, 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 for this field and this kind of work, and, and I'm just grateful to have had the opportunity to, to, to explore it and to contribute it. And I also think that it's a rich time for museums to really play leadership roles as we begin to kind of chart a new way forward. I thank you, Harvey. I, I couldn't have said it better. I I do truly feel that we are are as a museum field and 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 per, perhaps as society. Uh, I'm always 
been a bit of a Pollyanna, but that we are emerging from our winter of discontent. Uh, and, and those winters are very, very important. They, they allow us to sort, sort of think and cogitate and, as you say, sort of allow that intuitive brain to work individually. And now we really are, are moving forward collectively. Uh, and, and we have some process and we will now have some data uh, that will emerge from your process project uh, to to help ground us in in moving forward again I, I I just can't thank you enough for doing the good work that you're doing it's 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 truly innovative and um, again what is that website that people can uh, uh, see how how you're doing and and uh, start learning from your uh, materials great the website is art of science learning.org and I would really uh, encourage uh, your listeners to to come visit, see what we're up to, and 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 get in touch. I mean, if 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 you're interested in learning more, if you're interested in somehow uh, participating in some future aspect of this exploration, or just are are eager for some resources that might be able to be applied at the local level, uh, we'll be more than happy to do anything we can to to to, to make those connections or to to begin thinking about collaborations. Harvey, thank you so very, very much. Again, uh, you've been listening to Museum Life. Uh, we've been uh, talking with Harvey Seifert, and uh, I encourage all of you to uh, to get in touch with him and uh, follow along on these projects. Uh, we will be back next week with Museum Life. Uh, May starts uh, American Alliance of Museums Month uh, in honor of their upcoming uh, conference. So uh, please uh, stay tuned and come back next week. This is Carol Bossert at Museum Life. Uh, Thank you for listening today. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.